0: Link.
1: And I'm Charles Lee,
0: and you're listening to the Grok Science Show.
1: That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Ira Mark Egdal will join us to discuss cosmic roots.
0: So stay tuned for all of this,
1: plus the Grokatron 5000,
0: and our world famous question a week.
1: Coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. The Grok Science Show. Well, the conflict between science and religion has had a long history. Joining us today to discuss this issue is Ira Mark Eggdahl. Sir Eggdahl is the author of the new book, Cosmic Roots: The Conflict Between Science and Religion, How It Led to the Secular Age. He's also the author of the award-winning book, Einstein Relatively Simple, and Unsung Heroes of the Universe. He's a retired aerospace program manager with an undergraduate degree in physics from Northeastern University. He now teaches late courses in modern physics and the history of the science, religion, and conflict at the Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of Miami, Nova, Southeastern University, and Florida International University. He, again, has penned the new book, Cosmic Roots. And, Mr. Agdell, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's certainly a great book you put together here in which you talk about the conflict between science and religion. I'm curious why you decided to put the book together.
0: Well, obviously in science, that's my field. I have a degree in physics and everything like that, but it, also I've had an interest in religion. Going back to the days when I went to Hebrew school as a child, and there was sort of a conflict between the two in my own experience. In later life, I've kind of looked back on it and, and wrote this book about the conflict. Uh, that really was the root of it all.
1: And it is one that's had a long history, particular book.
0: Well, it, it started out in the scientific revolution, starting with Copernicus, And then I said, gee, I have to go back and understand what Copernicus was rebelling against. And I went back and back and back. And then I found myself back at the time of the first civilization, the Sumerians. So the book actually covers about 5,000 years because the conflict between science and religion actually began much earlier than I had thought. It actually began with the Sumerians and then with the Greeks and it's
1: one of an interesting history that most people think of the Enlightenment period as the beginning of this saw, but really this has been ongoing for almost the entirety of recorded human history.
0: Yes, that's absolutely true. In fact, the Greeks had a motion, which is when a planet goes eastward for a while, and then over, over some days it starts to turn westward in the big loop, and then it goes eastward again. That was considered, thought of, the planets as gods. And that was unseemly motion for a god. And so Plato actually instructed his students, because he was worried about them getting a bad reaction from the people in Greece, to find a way to describe retrograde motion of planets using combinations of perfect circles. For him and for the Greeks at the time, the representation of the divine, they were something that always looks the same no matter how you flip it. And so perfect circles were considered the way all celestial objects should move because they are divine. And so he asked his students again if they could figure out a way to use only combinations of perfect circles and perfect uniform motion to describe retrograde. And that was one of the first conflicts between science and religion.
1: And they had this dogmatic view of the Earth being the center of the universe, which required this notion of constructing these conflicts epicycles the and that to explain these type of motions.
0: Yes. Most science, not all of them, but most Greeks at the time uh, believed that the Earth was the center of the universe. And in fact... This divine circles to describe the retrograde motion, assuming the Earth is at the center and not moving. First of all, Aristotle took on the challenge, and he developed a model called crystalline spheres. It was the first integrated model of the solar system, actually. And he used these concentrics, which the sun and the moon and the stars were attached to individual spheres, and they were all concentric. In interlocking with different axes to try to emulate the retrograde motion. It turns out the retrograde motion of planets was only approximate, and it was not very accurate. And then later, in about the 100s AD, Ptolemy, another Greek living in Alexandria in Egypt, decided to go ahead and put together a model which used circles rotating around larger circles, epicycles, and that sort of thing. He offset these circles so that you could get a different motion for the planets on one side than the other because that's what planets were doing. And his model was much more accurate in modeling the retrograde, but it was considered just a computational device. It's kind of interesting in that Aristotle said his spheres model, which wasn't very accurate, is real, whereas Ptolemy said that his accurate model, epicycles, was accurate but not real. In those days, the elegance of the model was more important than the accuracy. Nowadays, we would obviously go with whatever works accurately, accuracy-wise. So all of that was a way to try to come up with a method to emulate the retrograde motion. And in fact, this perfect circles idea that came from the ancient Greeks, Plato and others and the Pythagoreans, didn't get changed for thousands of years. It wasn't until the 1600s that, that Johannes Kepler finally dared to say that these perfect circles are not the way the planets orbit. In fact they orbit in ellipses. And to me that's just an indication of how we as human beings latch on to a religious belief, in this case divine perfect circles, and hold on to it dearly and fight it very hard to let go. I think that's a human condition we all we all possess.
1: In some ways, was probably hard to give up. It's that perfect circle, that something divine would, of course, have to be something so simple and elegant like that, and in some ways was parsimonious with religious ideas. Adopting anything else was heretical, isn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. It was, it, it, it was, this whole idea with the Greeks and their models was adopted by the, by the uh, Catholic Church in the medieval times and considered religious dogma. Overcoming that, of
1: course, required not only a conflict between science, but the ongoing issues that science was having in terms of explaining the natural world and how this conflicted with religious idea.
0: Yes, and about the same time in parallel, there was the issue of the moving Earth, which was something that, that some, a few Greek philosophers said that the Earth was moving, but most claimed, including Aristotle, that the Earth was at rest. And there were several arguments for this that were hard to overcome, even through the medieval times. For one thing, we don't feel the Earth's movement, and why don't we feel it? They didn't understand at the time gravity and and Newton's laws, so it it was hard to understand why we don't feel the Earth's motion. Why won't we throw up an object into the air? Wouldn't it fall behind us as we were moving through space? All of that was uh, misunderstood physics in those days. The other thing that they knew, and it was pretty smart of them, there was no observed parallax of stars. If the Earth is really moving, the stars should show this parallax effect, and it didn't show it. So it implied one of two things. The Earth is at rest, or the stars are extremely far away, which is true. The nearest star is like a little over four light years away, and the light year is six trillion miles. It's an enormous distance. And they felt that no god would make a world with so much empty space in it. It just didn't make any sense to them. The other issue, which is very subtle, is that they didn't understand diffraction. So when they looked at stars, the stars appeared larger to them because of the diffraction effect. And when you compared how far away the stars would have to be for no parallax and the diffraction effect they didn't understand, they assumed that the stars were just tremendously enormous which didn't make sense to them also. So there was all of these scientific and mixed religious ideas that people had in medieval times that were parallel to what they had in the Greek times that said that the most common sense approach scientifically is that the Earth is stationary.
1: Stationary and central and putting our existence at the center of everything and the ongoing progress of cosmology slowly began the diminution of that central
0: position. Yes, that's true. This assumed the Earth was the center of the universe, and this was a part and parcel uh, Aristotelian physics, which is still taught in medieval times, if you can believe. Then along came Copernicus, and then Galileo, who supported Copernicus, and in his, in his ideas that the, the Earth orbits the Sun. Copernicus was very hesitant to publish because he thought he would be ridiculed by his fellow astronomers and by natural philosophers that it was ridiculous to have the Earth moving for all the reasons I mentioned. And Galileo argued that there was evidence for a moving earth, that the rotation of the earth causes ocean tides. That's wrong. So Galileo had the wrong idea. It turns out there was one person who had an idea that the church preferred in in the Middle Ages during the Renaissance, too. And that was Tycho Brahe, the great observer. He had an alternative approach where the earth was at rest, which solved all of these issues we talked about. The moon and the sun orbit the earth. But the planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Saturn and Jupiter, the known planets at the time, orbit the Sun. With this compromise approach, the Earth was stationary and we saw full phases of Venus, which is what Galileo saw in his telescope, which can only happen in a sun-centered universe or a Tycho Brahe compromised universe. So people don't realize that when the Catholic Church was objecting to Galileo's claims of Earth orbiting the sun, they had both religious and scientific arguments against Galileo, based on the science of the time.
1: It it is a tension that persisted, that continued, where much religious belief tried to hang on to certain evidence which supported their view, but then there was more and more evidence comes in. There's the retreat and eventual emergence of a more secular worldview.
0: Yes, absolutely. So this trial of Galileo, which is probably the most famous trial in the world, perhaps, shook the world. And in fact, Galileo ended up being even more famous, something he desired, he lusted for fame, and became basically a a victim of a church's abuse, which wasn't quite fair. But still, that's how it kind of worked. And people kind of turned away from the church because of the Galileo trial, which was just the opposite of what the Pope had wanted. And it wasn't until 1727 a century after Galileo, that the first evidence for a moving Earth actually was recorded, which was stellar aberration. So from then on, the scientists at least knew knew that the Earth was moving, and eventually the general public came to accept it.
1: Was there anything particularly surprising to you in your researching the history of tension between science and religion?
0: Well, I was very surprised by, as I mentioned, that Galileo was not on the right side of the known science at the time. I didn't know that as well. The other thing that fascinated me was evolution, which is something else I talk about. I had always thought before I did the book that it was evolution that was the first conflict with science and religion, but it really was astronomy and cosmology, as I've mentioned. But even with evolution, it seems that evolution, people today accept that the Earth, most people, there is a flat Earth society, you know, but most people accept that the earth goes around the sun, that it moves, even though in the Bible, it's the opposite. So most people accept that. And most people accept that, almost everybody accepts that the earth is round. And all of those things are contradicted in the Hebrew Bible. And that is accepted, but evolution, which is a newer science, which is more in the 1800s, is still being rejected by a number of religious people. The general authorities say they agree with it, but creationists, for example, I still argue against it, and that says to me that when a a new scientific discovery comes to the fore, it takes centuries before it's accepted by the general public, by all of the general public.
1: It continues to be played out in terms of even the ability to teach things like evolution in schools.
0: Yeah. There's a survey in 2008 that was made by a national survey that said over 20% of public high school biology teachers report pressure to downplay evolution which is really sad. So that is still ongoing in parts of the United States, certainly. Looking at the history
1: of how these ideas have evolved, where do you think we're headed in terms of our understanding of our place in the universe? How do you think we can improve the understanding of what current science is telling us about humans, the universe, and in a way existence?
0: Well, one thing I think we should emphasize in science is that science is a work in progress, that we don't know everything. And admit that and that what we are teaching in science today is our best current understanding and it may change in the future it has changed in the past and is likely to change in the future and have a more uh, humble approach to science and i think that would uh, convince more people to go along with an understanding of what we have discovered so far because there's going to be even more puzzling and wilder discoveries i believe in the future
1: Uh, We are running slightly out of time, though. I'm I'm curious, people picking up the book, what would you really like them to take home after reading Cosmic Roots?
0: I'd like them to take home the the fact that that science is trying to come up with the basic truth, and that, in fact, if you are a believer, and and there are many people who still are, that science is, in fact, explaining if you believe in God, then then God made the universe, and the, the laws of physics that we discover are God's laws. And the evidence for the laws of physics that we discover are God's evidence. And there really should not be any conflict.
1: We were talking with Ira Mark Egdall, his new book, Cosmic Roots, The Conflict Between Science and Religion and How It Led to the Secular Age. Mr. Agdahl, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me.